Good afternoon. Welcome to the fundmonitors.com webinar on private credit and hybrid credit. Firstly, what I'd like to do is welcome our guests this afternoon. Um, I'm not sure how your screens are organised, but Ben Harrison from Altol Capital, uh, Nick Thompson from Aquasia, and Patrick William from Rickson Capital. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you for joining us. Uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, uh, the idea of this afternoon's session is to look at private credit and why private credit and what the benefits of private credit are and what the potential risks of private credit are. Um, we have three excellent managers who vary in the way they approach private credit. Uh, so hopefully we'll have an informative and interesting session. Maybe I could uh, start off, Ben, with you first at Altor. And what are the key benefits of private credit from an investor's perspective? Yeah, thanks, Chris. Appreciate you uh, having us uh, this afternoon and welcome everyone. So for us, I think, you know, the advantages or the key advantage of, of uh, private credit is your uh, position in, in the capital structure. That is your, you know, ranked above equity participants. Therefore, it affords you that level, uh, extra level of protection, I guess, compared to, uh, you know, those that might be in the equity stack. And then, obviously, within the credit stack, there are different types of uh, of uh, security and positioning and ranking as well. So, without going to those details, I think that's probably uh, one of the key advantages is the, you know, the greater level of protection over uh, over the investment thanks ben one of the things that we've we look at at fund monitors obviously is returns and risk and the, one of the things that is absolutely clear is that private credit provide and hybrid credit provides a steady rate of return which uh, in the current environment or current equity environment is really attractive to investors uh, but Nick, maybe you could take us through why from the investee companies, why would a company take uh, out a loan, a private credit operator, rather than going to a bank or going to the market and raising equity? Raising equity, it's a, it's a, it's a very good question, Chris, and one that we get a lot. Um, I suppose to, in terms of backdrop for that is uh, banks, uh, after you know things like the Royal Commission and also the capital changes, do less and less business lending. It costs them more from more capital to hold um, and makes it more expensive. And also some of the clients just who used to be banked by banks uh, are no longer available to be banked by banks. So that's where all of us in the private credit space uh, get an opportunity. We're getting an ever-expanding um, uh, opportunity set why do they take on, on private credit? One, we'd like to think there's some flexibility uh, in terms of being able to structure a loan with all the protections of, of being senior to, to equity, um, but structure some loans with some terms that either um, help a company uh, transform either a project or transform their business in terms of growth. Um, so we're there and often we get refinanced out either via, you know, the business getting larger and a bank takeout or some sort of event with the business sale or an IPO. So we've got some extra flexibility. Um, and why we, you know, even though we're relatively more expensive than, than some bank credit, 
um, our funding is is cheaper than equity. You know, in terms of equity for for private companies, you know, for an equity return, some of these uh, private companies will will cost them twenty five to thirty percent uh, as a, as an equity return, or they sell a slice of the business. They introduce a partner, which complicates the business. Uh, so therefore, you know, from a from a cost effective uh, point of view and also a flexibility point of view, we're a neat fit between um, the the structure of a of a bank credit and then having to take on a partner or sell part of the business. And from the investor's perspective, we talk about a, 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 an attractive return, steady return, uh, lack of risk. Uh, Patrick, we're we're talking about. 10 to 12% per annum, is that fair enough? Well, in fact, from our looking at it, it doesn't matter which of the funds we're looking at today, they're all aiming for, or you're all performing or providing a return over the cycle of around uh, 10%. Is that a, a realistic return through the cycle for the investor I'm talking about? Yeah, I'd say that's a safe, uh, safe assessment. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to scarcity of capital. The reason those returns are available in the market, and now that 10 to 12% return, the net return, what we're actually pricing debt at on a gross basis is in excess of 12 to 13% per annum. And those rates are available because there is, there continues to be a vacuum of sufficient SME private credit. So as long as there isn't enough debt, we're able to extract uh, an excess premium, an excess return, if you like. And is this sustainable? I mean, you know, you, you, your particular fund is relatively new. Um, uh, so what you're returning at the moment, uh, but if we look at the other funds, is it sustainable um, in all sorts of market conditions? And we'll come to that in a moment and the potential for a recession. Look, that's a fair question. I wouldn't be able to give an answer in the long term, but in the short to medium term, I'd say with reasonable comfort, it is possible given there is a degree of expertise required to underwrite these loans. So if you take a step back and look at, look at first mortgage lending, for instance, three to four years ago, those loans would deliver one to one and a half percent per month. Pricing in those loans have dropped below 10% now because they're easy to underwrite and there's been a flood of capital in that specific space. Whereas if you look at what um, yeah, uh, Alto Equation or Rickson do in our respective niches, you require an institutional background or an investment backing background to execute. And it's a very small pool of professionals in a relatively small pool of capital. Uh, so those returns are available, at least in the medium term. So we, we might just drill down a little bit because each of your funds has a slightly different strategy. And Ben, just turning to you, uh, yours is a combination of credit with an element of uh, uh, of equity upside to it. Could you just quickly explain uh, how that works? Yeah, so we're we're taking uh, you know what we refer to as a you know an active credit approach. So we're very hands on with the the companies that we're we're lending to. Uh, we're, we're effectively viewing it in, in two ways. Firstly, you know, the credit risk, so the serviceability and the asset coverage, but also looking at equity enhancements that are, you know, in effect attached from the loan documents themselves, which generate the income. So that equity upside is, you know, embedded 
in the facilities. And we take a view through a bottom-up research approach that we can actually add value to those businesses and then generate returns through the equity positions in excess of uh, the interest income that's attached to the to the facilities themselves. So it's quite it's quite a different approach. Um, and you know we've now sort of been able to realise uh, three equity instruments that we've attached over the last sort of five years of track record that we've got in the fund. And we've got a number of embedded options and, and equity instruments in the fund still that we're yet to realise. Um, and there's an expectation that over time that some of those may be uh, realised for you know additional returns. And does that equity involvement involve additional risk? No, no, no it doesn't necessarily. It just means that when we talk to a borrower our value proposition is one that's more holistic. That is, we can actually uh, work with the, the company to achieve stated objectives. So it's quite an active approach. We, we form a view on the value today. We form a, a view on the value when the loan matures. And if we can capture some of that upside, then that's embedded in that equity enhancement. So it doesn't necessarily reflect risk. It just reflects our ability to add value and then be compensated for that that value add because you know the founder of the business or the management team see a real need for our expertise um and that covers strategic uh corporate finance operational improvements so it's quite um broad the, the way that we add value but it's that's how we get additional returns for the benefit of our investors so from a management perspective that must create significant additional overhead from from Altor's perspective, from the fund manager's perspective, to uh, be involved at that level? Yeah, correct. I mean, for us, we'll only ever write 20 to 25, you know, loans in, in, the, uh, in the fund. So we are definitely capped because of that active involvement. And, you know, we're, you know, from a positioning perspective, we're okay um, with with that from a portfolio perspective. Um, but you're right; it certainly has limitations. We can't get to hundreds of positions because, um, you know, we wouldn't be doing ourselves justice in terms of our mandate. Cool. Okay, Nick, you're a bit different in that uh, you have more positions than that, but you don't take any equity upside. Uh, you are basically it, it's straight credit. Uh, yeah, we, well, uh, we, we've sort of got four components to our portfolio. So um, we can invest in convertible notes uh, that take some equity-like linked returns, but we can't invest in, in straight equity. So the four components of our portfolio, um, uh, like I said, convertible notes, opportunistic credit where we can buy some, um, uh, some bonds and some things like that, which... Um, you know, good credit at wrong prices. Um, and then the other two, by far the two largest components of our portfolio is targeted real estate uh, and our company's lending. So as a general rule, our portfolio, we can do most things in the capital structure except direct equity. Our portfolio is, is, is pretty conservative, having said that, about 75% of our portfolio is senior first-ranking um, mortgages, either over a piece of land, property or, or we're over a company uh, and often when we lend to companies um, it has 
the, the company has some other assets, so not just the cash flows that are that are generated out of the company, uh, but also the, they own the property in which they operate out of. We like hard asset coverage um, because a things go wrong, b we don't want our best asset. You know, we don't want to lend to sort of people businesses where where assets walk home uh, at the end of the evening. Um, we want we want stuff that's more tangible and more permanent. Um, and I suppose as a general rule, um, you know, over the, over the five years of the fund, our sort of sweet spot is loans that are about sort of 18 to 24 months. Uh, we like to have uh, as a philosophy as a house in terms of not just my fund, but the other funds that uh, Equation manages. We like to have money coming back to us, gives us an opportunity to reinvest into the market and retouch uh, what is market pricing on, on a regular basis. So um, we're happy to sort of take that bit of a reinvestment risk. Um, but as a general rule, I'd say, you, you know, we like, we like hard assets. And um, in this market in particular, where there's a bit of uncertainty, we, we think you're getting better reward for being senior in the capital stack and getting 12 or 13% from a, from a sort of first ranking position rather than um, necessarily being in a subordinated position. And you you uh, put great store on real assets as security. Uh, we do, as long as they're priced appropriately and and structured appropriately. Um, and, and you know, not all real assets are the same or equal. Um, but you know, in terms of our portfolio, for example, um, you know, on, a, on the real estate side, we're we're a big investor in a in a in a land uh, in industrial land uh, property. Uh, that's opposite the new airport in Sydney that's being developed. Um, you know, we think we think the borrower bought that at an amazingly good price, and we uh, are invested in first mortgage, so we've got upside from that property and the the, the developer's equity in that. Um, and you know, we're getting a very nice return there. So we like to be um, positioned in in properties or in assets where there's a couple of ways out of out of the asset that you can either you know. Um, get refinanced out of it, or there's a process to be able to sell the property or sell the business as they're undertaking some expansion. Um, we always like a couple of ways out of things. Um, and, you know, from our point of view, um, there's, we're, we're, no, you know we're, we're in no hurry, I think, as says for, for all of us on the call. You know, we don't, we don't report into Hong Kong or Singapore or somewhere where we have Growth targets that we have to have to meet. We we have periodically closed our fund um, because we we want to get the appropriate returns for our capital. Um, so we think the combination of being patient and having real asset protection is a good one for our investors. Patrick, just turning to you, and I think this is probably true across the board. But one of the things we were discussing before the attractions was uh, when you when as a company you go to a bank. For, uh, for a, a facility, there are multi-layers of management and, and there's normally uh, a, a long process um, uh, to actually execute uh, a deal. Uh, one of the things I think you were saying was the ability to be nimble and, and provide a facility to a company a lot faster than it would be if, if the bank was even prepared to lend. That's right. And it's also the concept of uh, being, as I like to call it, close to the money. Uh, you know, I speak to my investment committee who have to approve loans that uh, see funds go out the door. So I'm two steps removed from the capital. 
Whereas if you look at a big four bank, you might have a very uh, a very supportive, very friendly relationship manager telling you, I think this is a great deal. And you might have a director above him thinking it's a great deal. But 20 lines above that, you might have some grizzled old banker who says, look, I don't like this sector. And three months in, they pull the plug on you. Uh, so there's real certainty when you come to the, uh, when, when you're working with a private credit funder. And um, where do you see the market going, given that we've just had another rate increase? You know, there's obviously the, the Reserve Bank is trying to slow the economy down. Is that going to increase the risk uh, in, in these portfolios? Uh, it's an interesting question. I think if you've got existing exposure to certain sectors, you're at risk. So if you wrote a, a large loan to a consumer discretionary lender uh, 12 months ago, um, I think you'd be a little bit worried. But uh, anything underwritten now, that's picked up very quickly in commercial due diligence. So, you know, from the Rickson standpoint, the house would never back, a, well, we're very cautious about backing anyone, a lender, a borrower who's in consumer discretionary, uh, certain elements of the bi uh, building sector, or dependent on Medicare and NDIS funding. Because there's a real possibility the government are gonna, is going to clamp down on that and squeeze margins. But excluding that, there are lots of acyclical, acyclical sectors out there that are that are growing and need capital. And banks aren't prepared or or are withdrawing from that market, as we mentioned earlier. Broadly, yes. And then within the Rickson niche, which is uh, sub ten million dollars, the banks haven't played there for years, unless it was absolutely vanilla. And the IPO market, of course, at the current time is almost non-existent, especially at the small end. That's right. And that's going to be good for all the private credit lenders because an unlisted business is able to uh, accept a structured loan facility from a private credit funder that would be less palatable if the business was listed. So where's the risk, gentlemen? You know, you're saying that you take less risk because you've got better visibility into the company's finances. Uh, you've got a regular income stream, which you obviously pass on either monthly, I think in your case, uh, Patrick, or quarterly uh, in the case of Equasia or Altor. Um, uh, th there's got to be a risk somewhere in there because 10 to 12% seems like even with increased interest rates seems like a really attractive return, uh, especially as there's very little or no volatility in those returns. Um, where do you see the risk? Or do you see that the, there isn't the level of risk? Look, I echo a point that Nick made earlier on. Uh, none of us are under pressure to deploy. So the market was very volatile, very uncertain. Uh, where, I mean, Rooks would be very happy to just sit out the market and not raise capital and not deploy funds. So we'd wait for the right time. Uh, but to an early point that I made, the reason our returns are what they are is because of the scarcity premium. So there is a shortage of capital in this billion dollar market. And you know, if speaking for Rickson, we're writing, we're writing checks of two to $5 million in that billion dollar market, we can pick and choose the winners as opposed to being feeling that we're under pressure to put you know, a few million dollars out the door every month. I, th I think the other thing too, Chris, is that you're moving back to a more normal interest rate environment you've seen you know rates compress over the years um and now we're just sort of moving back to a level which is you know probably more akin to the long-term cost of, of of capital so 
it might seem high and um, but you know we've come from very very low rates so now moving back to a more normalized rate and sort of our view is that you, you want to be in the top of the cap structure um, so with higher funding costs the impact that that's going to have is ultimately to the equity holder um, because there's not going to be as much free cash flow to to pay dividends and and service equity holders so as long as you know you're comfortable around serviceability and, and asset coverage then uh, you know, businesses can afford the higher rates of return, uh, ultimately to the detriment of equity holders. And you're in a position of, of basically being in a buyer's market where there's good deal flow if you want it? Yeah, correct. I mean, it's, you know, when we set this fund up five years ago, we spent a lot of time trying to actually educate investors about what sort of private credit, you know, was and why you'd want to be there because the automatic response is, well, it must be bad credit because the banks are not lending to it. So we've spent sort of five years talking about why private credit. We've now got a number of, you know, great managers, uh, credit managers that are participating in the space with different mandates. And, you know, reality is that that corporates and, and the like are now aware of the opportunity to speak to private credit managers to seek out funding. So we've seen you know, an increase in the number of credit managers, but the size of market is, is you know, is increasing because you've got more knowledge about the opportunity and, you know, you've got equity markets that are shutting. So, and banks withdrawing from the sector. So that's the opportunity. Banks have a habit of being cyclical in that they'll get out of a market for three or four or five years, and then they'll decide to do a complete about face uh, and and re-enter that market. Do you see that's going to happen, or is this a long-term structural change within the banking sector? I think it's a. My personal opinion is it's a fundamental change because, you know, the the funders of those banks are short-term deposit holders. Um, our funders are long-term, you know, investors, high net worth. Uh, institutional money that that takes a long-term view because they know they're investing in an alternative asset class. So, you know, we refer it's referred to as you know our liabilities are people we owe uh, the capital to a, a longer-term patient, understand what we're doing. Whereas banks have got deposit holders who you know can withdraw their money very quickly, and we saw that with the sort of you know the banking crisis in the in the US with digital. Uh, you know, digital medium that allowed them to withdraw money. Now we're saying that, you know, the bank's business model is now under pressure. So separate of our abilities to be able to assess that credit quickly, provide unique and flexible funding structures, the bigger fundamental issue to banks is that they they're uh, got short-term liabilities. One of the things you touched on there is liquidity from the investor's perspective. Um, to understand that these are not uh, highly liquid funds. You've you've either got a lockup or quarterly redemption, or or what what um, what should an investor expect from a liquidity perspective? Um, so yeah, so our funds uh, quarterly redemption, sixty days um, notice. You know, I think the way we position the fund to our investor group is that you know it's not a deposit. Uh, account you don't move money in and out of it. We're taking positions in in and and facilities that are 
anywhere from you know two up to four years in in duration so you know you need to be patient and you need to be long term and and that's fine because the investors that we're working with are taking the same view that they're they're giving us capital uh they're protect we're protecting that capital and we're taking a longer term view so I think it's just matching the right investor with the right product um and you know we don't have any issues with the investors giving us capital on on the long term and and therefore there is some liquidity constraints um you know we do have liquidity windows that are, that are available however um you know it, our investors you know primarily are with us for the long term and we just to close out there we at the end of the day there's always going to be events where clients need to to take money uh out of the fund and and that's why that uh that quarterly redemption process is available Nick, are you finding uh, the same sort of investor type um, or, or profile that it's self-managed super funds, uh, people who are happy to invest for one, two, three, four years? So, so a couple of points to make. So broadly, yes, in terms of, you know, our, our uh, investor base is probably um, a bit more patient. But, you know, just to sort of piggyback on a point that Ben made um, earlier, uh, if you look across the totality of this year and sort of globally, the, the riskiest funding has been bank deposits. They've been very flighty. Um, so we have sim very similar terms, sort of effectively sort of 50-day uh, notice in terms of for quarterly redemptions. That's something you manage. Um, but also the other thing to point out uh, is that the nature of our books, you know, sort of on average, our loans 18 to 24 months. So they are in, in the extreme, those loans will run off and that money will be returned to the investors as opposed to you have funded a you know a bank loan book via deposits and other funding. So it's more it's more direct effectively that you have a genuine ownership stake in the in the underlying loans. Um, and broadly I'd say you know the investors are aware of that coming in. Um, and we've we've had a very um, very effective control over that uh, during during the period. You know the quarterly redemptions give you a good runway to be able to um, uh, to be able to manage that. So we, we envisage that um, on a go forward basis um, being fine. But also it is an important note that you know you fund a loan. Um, it's not your deposit plus other borrowing that goes into a loan, and you sort of sit at the, at the back of that. So um, that's where. You know, we think from a risk perspective, you've got a, a much more direct relationship with the underlying loans and the liquidity of those. And Patrick, are you finding the same thing? You find it's sort of self-managed super funds, um, uh, high net worth investors happy to uh, or, or uh, avoid the current malaise in the small cap equity markets uh, and take regular, uh, regular income, steady returns? Yeah, I think the two drivers of flows to us. One is... Uh, we are a sensible, we believe a sensible allocation in anyone's portfolio. You know, you're not going to get rich off an investment in Rickson. You get an asset-backed, secured monthly yield. Uh, but we're also benefiting from, to your point, investors who are sitting on cash going, inflation is you know, in excess of 6%. I'm getting 4% in a deposit. And there's a chance I'll have a capital loss if I put it in the equity market. So I'll plant it, I'll park it with you uh, for your 12-month lockup period, after which you've got uh, quality liquidity. I'll park it with you and then I'll reconsider and reassess where I'm at in 2024. It all sounds logical to me. Where's the, 
Where's the hang up there? Am I asking the wrong people to ask where the uh, where the risk is or where the catch is? Well, I mean, the, the risks are that there's, you know, a severe economic downturn. Um, but again, I would sort of caveat that if that happens and it may happen and, you know, it's sort of not, uh, we can't sort of predict that, but you'd want to be in a business that, or an asset that, uh you um you're you're ranking and you have all the security and the protections that that affords in terms of the loan documentation and the priority and you know you want to have real assets or some security and some serviceability and in our case you know also being involved with those businesses that you can help them steer them through the process so i think if if there is a downturn you know there will be loss um but you want to be probably not in the equity stack. Um, you'd much rather be preferred and with some asset backing, some security and uh, have some visibility with the business because that's going to place you better than than um, than where you might otherwise be. Sure. I think the visibility is really important from the manager's point of view, that you can actually see what's going on. You can put covenants on with a loan and you can see what's happening from month to month or or quarter to quarter, I would have thought that's a, a, a major benefit uh, from a due diligence perspective. Yeah, correct. And, and also it goes to the heart of the, the relationship piece as well, right, because the cycle changes and, and you know, a, a, even if there is a downturn, that's not going to affect all parts of the economy the same. Um, so it's about working, you know, with your borrower. Sometimes there's, there's you know, there are different um, components of the capital structure, so there's always a bit of natural tension there. But invariably, our borrowers uh, have sunk a whole host of their personal wealth into the businesses, so they're absolutely aligned with the, with the credit provider to make sure that the business gets through some difficult times and, you know, you, you, you're always focused on things like cost in the business and, and invariably that's often an easier discussion to have one-on-one, you're invested in the business, they have invested a lot of their money in the business and you get involved in things preemptively. So, you know, we, we think there will be some difficulties in the next little while. That's why you, you're you better off being senior and, and um, you know, sort of first in the capitals stack, but sort of second on the risk of, of loss exposure. Um, but if you work with your borrowers, there's a, there's a way through it. Um, and, you know, so far, I'd say as a general rule, it was a point that Ben made very well earlier on that, yes, interest rates have gone up from the un- unbelievably low levels, but they're back to more sort of more, more normal levels if you look over a, a reasonable um, a reasonable time period. So, you know, you're going to find out who are good business managers and who have just been surviving off, uh, off very low rates. Yeah, look, I think it's a really good, uh, a really good point, Nick. Um, Patrick, do you have any comment on your relationship um, with uh, with the companies you're lending to? I mean, I, I suspect that the communication between your lenders is much uh, you and the borrowers, sorry, is much better than a normal uh, bank customer is. Uh, banks are sort of seen as um, not quite the enemy, but certainly not helpful. Yeah, it, I mean, you made a good point talking about risks. You know, all investments have risk. It all comes down to how well you manage it. 
uh, and the attraction with private credit is because we're the execution team and the credit team is so close to the deal. You know, you meet the CEO, you meet the CFO, you meet the board. Uh, you're looking, you know, you're doing site visits. Um, in the Rickson uh, niche, most of our borrowers tend to own substantial stakes within their businesses. We tend to take seconds on the homes as well if we can. Um, so we live and breathe the business. We know that they've got skin in the game. We know there's a real consequence to them if things ever go wrong. Uh, and we've been because we require monthly distributions, monthly interest payments, we're getting monthly reports on how the business is uh, working as well. So we know as soon as that business is you know below trend or below the original forecast, we can jump on the phone and ask them what's going on and you know prepare ourselves for a difficult position. Uh, or you know just pat them on the back and say, no, well done. Gentlemen, I think we're coming up to question time. Damon, I'm not sure if we have any questions on the board or not. Um, we don't. Um, I guess I've got a question, though, from my point of view. Uh, for and, and I might pass this um, through and start with Patrick. Um, just on uh, having worked in the mortgage and uh, credit industry in a past life, um, what sort of level of, of defaults do you guys see these days um, within this part of the market? I, I know sort of uh, property-backed, you know, straight-up mortgages, uh, you know, run on a percentage. Is that something that you that you deal with um, in the portfolio? Uh, and if, Patrick, if you could start? Well, that's a very interesting question, uh, mildly controversial question as well. I think it comes down very much to uh, your private credit niche. So if you, I can only speak for Rickson. So we require all our borrowers to provide real asset security. So if I've given you a dollar, I want a dollar thirty to a dollar fifty of receivables, inventory, property, or equipment backing it, and with a valuation report if it's equipment. Um, so for us, our strategy. Uh, is focused on there being no loss of capital. Uh, we require the loans to be serviced monthly, and we've got a fair bit of vis visibility. So within our strategy, uh, we don't expect there to be defaults, and if there were defaults, they'd be unwound very, very quickly. But I think if you move up the risk curve into larger transactions, without speaking for other funders, I think there perhaps you might have the view that you know, you've got a billion-dollar portfolio, you can wear 5% uh, defaults and losses, and it all it comes out of the wash. And Nick, what about from your point of view? So just in terms of our portfolio, so um, if I remember the question, this was about sort of mortgage. Are you talking about sort of default? Yeah, and, and I think I think default can also be um, not necessarily, well, it could also cover um, just not meeting payments. Do you say on an 18-month um, lend, do you look for interest payments up front or anything like that? Uh, depends on the loan, but it, it, invariably quarterly interest payments. Um, so we've been uh, operating over about five years. We've done 67 loans. We've had one difficult client that we had to impair a component of. So of those 67 loans, that adds up to about nearly $1.1 billion that we've written, and that client was about $10 million. So that's in terms of, you know, they're, they're, we're lending money. Uh, over the cycle, there will be some defaults. Um, and, you know, it's about how you manage that process and recover your position. Um, so, you know, in terms of that, that's a sort of, uh, that, that, that's a position that we've had, not a sort of 
um, philosophy or, uh, you know, we, we're, everybody aims for zero defaults, but that's that's a sort of live time uh, was about 1% of our book the, of the loans we've written. A question from one of the attendees. Um, uh, ben, I might put this to you. Um, do you consider that there's a difference between tangible and intangible asset security? And um, do you price the risk differently in that situation? Well, we we don't look at intangibles at all from a security perspective. We look at um, you know cash and equipment and inventory. Um, so it's yeah we we don't we don't look at intangible. So it's we wouldn't price that from a from a risk perspective. We just completely discount it. And Patrick or Nick, do either of you look at intangibles in this situation? No, no, we don't factor. We're not permitted to factor intangibles. We, we ascribe zero value to intangibles. So uh, we require tangible security for any loan we make. Absolutely. It's, it's you know, and, and in terms of that security as well, you know, you you look at it on um, on a pretty conservative basis as well, right? You sort of have your own valuation and you can always haircut that a bit um, and then lend to, a, to an appropriate position from that. So... Um, intangibles are not something that are factored into our portfolio. And, and, you know, I think as Patrick touched on it as well, that, you know, you often have from the sponsor some sort of um, personal guarantee or some other collateral, um, which is always a nice to have. You can get, if you can get it, you, you do. Um, but that's usually not your first put of call if you have to recover anything. I don't know if you don't mind me jumping in. Someone asked a question about uh, a joint event we're having with someone else. No, we don't lend to cash keg. Uh, we've got a mutual equity investor. It's just a co-hosted event. Thanks, Patrick. I was going to send that through to you anyway. Um, Chris, that looks like... Sorry, Chris, uh, that looks like the only questions we've got. Sure. So you can wrap I've up. Got, I've got one other question, which actually is sort of more across the whole market. You know, we've had a rate increase today. Um uh, if there is such a thing as a one-word one answer from each of our panellists, uh, do you think that's it? Are rates going higher? Well, this is three questions, actually, so it's a one-word answer to three questions. Um, uh, and will there be a recession? Because the Reserve Bank is obviously wanting to slow the economy down, but the economy is being a bit stubborn in, in, not, um, in not feeling the pain across the board. You might have to nominate someone first to go on that one, Chris. Well, who wants to go? Ben, ben you've, just, you've just chosen yourself on that. <laughs> well, I'm not an economist, uh, so I, I don't know. But what I'd say was if we're not at the top, we're pretty close um, from an interest rate cycle perspective. Um, but, you know, there's smarter people than me making those decisions. So um, that would be my response on where we are from an interest rate environment perspective. Uh, in terms of the, uh, you know, the economy more broadly, I think it's hard to see how we don't suffer some downturn, whether that's a technical recession or a deep recession or how long it's going to be. I just can't see how with the level of interest rates and our exposure to, um, you know, the, the amount of household gearing we have that we're not going to, and it's sort of even anecdotally, just talking to people, talking to small business looking at pricing in the supermarket, you can see that there's pricing pressure on prices are coming down. So I think, you know, I, you know, I think from my perspective that there will be um, 
some downturn, but how deep it is and how long it goes for, again, is anyone's guess. Uh, Nick, have you got a, uh, a feeling on... on it's more than three answer, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we're... Look, the RBA said today that there's probably some more rate rises to come, but you know, you, you would think we're nearer the top than than uh, you know where we started at zero. Um, will there be a recession? There's going to be a slowdown. They're engineering a slowdown, whether that's a technical recession, and it's not going to affect all of the country and all of the segments the same. So there'll be places like Melbourne we think is going to get really tough, whereas things like domestic tourism will probably benefits, and places like Queensland will do better. And you know, if you're young. And involved in retail or you have a mortgage you're going to be complaining whilst if you're a baby boomer and you've got more savings you're probably enjoying it so um it's about navigating through those sectors downturns don't affect all the parts of the economy equally um and but you know to be clear that, that they are trying to engineer a slowdown to get rid of inflation and you would think that that given the level of indebtedness that in particular i think I think it was sort of outlined up front. I'd say none of us really have exposure to that much in terms of sort of consumer um, side of spending things because that's that's the area that's going to get adjusted pretty quickly first. So so pick your target and and avoid the others. Yeah, try to and lend conservatively. And you know the flip side is we think you know we, we've got probably a little bit more cash than we've had in the fund for a little while because we think in the second half of the year there's going to be some great opportunities where good businesses see an opportunity to buy a distressed competitor or something like that needs some capital. So we, we think there's going to be some really good opportunities if you can, you know, deploy capital uh, relatively quickly and, um, and and are flexible. So, um, you know, it's sort of hard for the economy, but it might be might be good in the private credit space. Sure. Patrick, your, uh, your views on where that's going and then we'll wrap it up because it's almost five o'clock. Yeah, I think it's quite clear there are going to be several more rate rises coming. And, uh, you know, within our existing portfolio, we're quite pleased. All our loans are floating rates. So that benefits pass straight on to our investors. Uh, you know, to Ben's point, I'm not an economist. I struggle through university and economics, but uh, I think we might have a rough six months ahead of us before things get better. Gentlemen, I'd like to thank you this afternoon. I'd like to thank all our attendees. Uh, it's been really interesting. It sounds to me that this is a, uh, a safe, um, in relative terms, secure, um, uh, regular income stream. Um, and for the right investor, I would have thought self-managed super funds, in particular, the high net worth, you're all wholesale funds, uh, very attractive option. Thank you, gentlemen. We look forward to hearing from you and see how it's going going forward.